right. April 13th, 2022. Let's talk tonight about Pesach. Pesach is quickly uh, approaching, and as a result, it's an opportunity for us to talk about and perhaps to dive into the depths of Pesach. I entitled the class, Reflecting the Light, and we'll hopefully quickly address what that means with regards to Pesach. What I want to initially address is something I've mentioned in the past in different classes. I want to return to the thought, uh, to sharpen it a bit, and to take it in a bit of a different direction. And that is, if you pay careful attention, or not even that careful attention, to the description of Yisiyam Yisraim, and specifically to Kiryat Yamsuf, you'll notice this eerie similarity, this eerie uh, reflection of Biryata Olam. And what I mean by that, uh, without any further ado, is take a look on the left-hand side of this column at Shemot Perek Yodal. It's, of course, in Parashat Beshalach. And so we'll start with, to a certain extent, the beginning of Kiryat Yamsuf. God tells Moshe to raise his arms, and in his arm, of course, is his staff. Vayet Moshe Tiado al Hayam. So Moshe raises his arm, he outstretches it, and in turn, God brings forth this Ruach Kadim. Ruach Kadim meaning a strong eastward wind. That's the description of, to a certain extent, the beginning of Kiryat Yamsuf. There's this strong eastward wind, which in turn separates the ocean, separates the Yam, the sea. That uh, already should trigger you, if we're talking about the beginning of creation, the beginning of the world, prior to creation, to Pasuk Bet in the Torah, Ve'ha'aretz ha'yeta tohu v'avohu ve'choshech al-penetehom ve'ruach Elohim merachefet al-penehamayim. There's this godly wind which hovers above water. Water and wind, water and wind. And in fact, just a year or two ago, I discovered that Rashbam, Rashbam calls attention to the fact that we find this Ruach at the water, at the Yam, in two circumstances. In fact, it's on the page in front of you. Rashbam, Rashbam points out that the purpose, so to speak, of mentioning this Ruach, this wind, this spirit of God, which is hovering above the water, says Rashbam is for what takes place in Pasuk Tet in Parashat Bereshit. Pasuk Tet is the separation of upper and lower water, says Rashbam. That must have taken place through, quote-unquote, that wind of God. Says Rashbam, similar to the wind of God, that spirit of Ruach Kadim of Kiryat Yamsuf, so already in my mind, that's a trigger, that's a direction on this. Most recently, before we even read onward, in terms of these similarities, I saw it in the book of Leon Cass on Shemot, and I think maybe three, four years ago when I first when I first bought the book, right when it came out, I think Rabbi Foreman in his book calls attention to these similarities as well. What's the name of that book? The Exodus You Almost Passed Over, or The Passover, whatever the name of that book is. So he calls attention to some of these, if not all of these similarities as well. So the similarities are not fully and completely my own, at the very least. I'm not the only to have suggested them. It's the question of what we'll do with them. Okay, moving ahead in Kiryat Yamsuf. Yes. Yeah, Rashbam is, not me. Yeah, next, in the left-hand side, on Perek Yodalit, and now if it's too early, Perek Yodalit, Pasuk Yotet, and Pasuk Kaf, Vayisa Malacha Elohim Haolech Lefne Mahanei Israel, Vayelech Meacharehem, Vayisa Amud Heanan Mipnehem, Vayamod Meacharehem. Pasuk describes how this Malacha Elohim, let's just translate it for our purposes, as an angel, which was in front of Am Yisrael, goes behind them. And it's standing behind them. And then the Pasuk says, And then it 
separates, it distinguishes, or it's that barrier between the Am Yisrael and the Egyptians who are running after them. There's a cloud and darkness. And then there's something causing light in the night. What exactly is taking place? Is there darkness or light? Rashi suggests that what's taking place is as follows, is the cloud from behind is blocking any light. So for the Egyptians, there is darkness. The uh, pillar of ish, of, of fire, is preceding Am Yisrael, and that's causing for them light. Which means to say, amazingly, there's both darkness and light as we're walking through Yam Suf, darkness for them, light for us. Of course, that's what takes place on day one in Pasuk Gimal and Bereshit, in Pasuk Dal, Vayomer Elohim Yihi Or, Vahi Or, Vayar Elohim et Haor Kitob, Vayavdel Elohim Ben Haor Ben Ahoshech. There's the construction, the creation of light and then the separation. So that's systematically perhaps what's taking place at Kiryat Yamsuf. And then, of course, the next two are just quite easy and simple. As Am Yisrael set forth in the ocean, into the sea, I should say, rather, the walls stand on two sides. We call that separation of water. Of course, that's what takes place on day two of creation, separation of upper and lower water. For them, it's not upper and lower. For them, it's right and left water. That's how the Pesukim describe it. And furthermore, on day four afterwards, what takes place? There's the separation of water from dry land, what we call Yabasha, which of course is what takes place twice mentioned in Kiryat Yamsuf, that Bnei Yisrael halechu bayabasha betoch hayam, there's dry land. Which means to say, if you follow the description of the Pesukim and pay attention to the particulars of the words, the Pesukim seem to be, for some reason or another, hearkening back to creation. Uh, at its most basic uh, level, and what I've mentioned in the past, maybe not basic, but what I've mentioned in the past is that perhaps this is the culmination, this is the climax of an absolute return to origins. I love to talk about returning to origins, about how our lives are lived within this spiral of existence in which we keep coming back to and tapping into truths which were implanted into existence long before us, and that's what's really taking place. In the class in the past, I've I've gone from Shemot all the way through Bishalach and traced from Avraham backward to Biryat Olam, which in my mind is a fascinating thing. If you pay attention and realize it, you go literally backward in time until you bring back to the beginning and the nascent nation that Am Yisrael are, are literally tapping into origins of existence. They started with Abraham, so to speak, and they made their way back to an actual and absolute beginning. I'd like to take it in a bit of a different direction tonight and suggest something a bit different, and it's along the following lines. I would use the words, this is a second creation. It's not per se that we're going back to the initial creation and just reliving it on new coordinates per se. It's rather that in some way, shape, or form, this is a new creation. And it's to be seen side by side, not one on top of the other or one within the other of the initial creation. And I will, I'd like to explain to you what I mean by that. I would initially draw a contrast between what Yitziat Misraim, at least the way the Torah seems to initially portray it, was all about, and contrast that with, well, let's call it the beginning of creation and the holiday most associated with beginning of creation, which of course is 
Rosh Hashanah, Yom Harat Olam. We envision, we understand Rosh Hashanah is the day of creation of existence, or at the very least, creation of mankind. Right, so I want to contrast those two holidays initially. The Torah in Parasha in, in Shemot Perik Yod Bet, Pasuk Alf through Pasuk Gimal, and a bit beyond, but not much more, the Torah describes the first mitzvah in the eyes of the rabbis commanded to Am Yisrael. It's true that they'll shortly thereafter have the Korban Pesach, but the initial command, and there's lots of Musar here, lots of Saxian Musar and other sorts, you know, other Ba'ale Machshaba, they'll talk about what is the significance of HaChodesh HaZelachim. Chodesh HaZelachim, of course, interpreted by the Chachamim. Maybe Peshat and Pesukim as Mitzvat Kiddush HaChodesh. We as Am Yisrael are commanded and empowered to sanctify and determine the beginning of months. What's that? Nisan, the initial beginning of month. HaChodesh HaZeh, in the words of the rabbis, Kazeh Re'eve Kadesh. Anytime, almost anytime the Torah uses the word Zeh, in the eyes of the Hakamim, it's God, so to speak, pointing. You point, Zeyitenu, um, he's pointing to the Mahati Kashekel. Zemaaseh menorah, he's showing the menorah to Moshe Rabbeinu in the construction of fire in, in some sort of fiery image. Uh, so over here, Kazere Eve Kadesh, in the imagery of the rabbis, God, so to speak, is pointing to the moon and saying, like this, sanctify. You in the future should determine this is the way that you will determine new months. Which means to say, and this is something we're all familiar with, that new months are determined in Judaism based on a lunar calendar. We determine it based on the moon. Appropriately so, Kiryat Yamsuf, Yesiyah Misraim, the holiday of Pesach is commemorated on the 15th of Nisan, the 15th of the month. I have very little astronomical understandings, but at the very least, from Masechet Rosh Hashanah, unfortunately, my, all my knowledge comes forth. The 15th of the month, I'm watching the sky a little bit, the 15th of the month is when the moon is complete in the sky, which means to say, if I'm to envision and understand in a machshava, in a thoughtful perspective, what's Pesach about, what's Yitziat Mitzrayim about, I'm going to associate it with a full moon. I'm going to associate it with my realization, my paying attention to that moon. We'll have to discuss what that means in a second. But again, how am I suggesting that? I know I'm leaving the creations on the side for a second. I'm now on to another point, which of course will lead us back to the creations. But my other point is to notice and realize, yes, Yad Mitzrayim is about paying attention to the moon. It's about being empowered to read the moon, so to speak. It's about looking at the moon and understanding something about myself. We'll get more into that. And I'll already mention, I've mentioned this in different contexts as well, certainly earlier this year, I assume, um, certainly a year ago on a Friday night, because I remember I confused a lot of people. Regardless, I will tell you that contrasts, I just remember it like yesterday, I remember the amount of people told me they didn't know what I was talking about. Happens a lot. But anyway, it contrasts directly with an Egyptian society, an Egyptian society in which it's all about the sun. It's all about cyclical time. It's not about my potential, my capability of determining something different and me being able to, well, we'll fill in the, the blank on that in a second. It's certainly in contrast to that. Okay, well, that being the case, that's what I see in Yitzhak Mitzrayim. That's what I see in Pesach. To the extent that I want to hearken back to the beginning of creation with this, I'll take you to one of several of the first words of Rashi Allah Torah that we'll discuss in this class. This is literally his first words on the Torah. He quotes an enigmatic source, Rabbi Yitzhak. Nobody knows who this Rabbi Yitzhak is. We don't have a midrash which quotes this Rabbi Yitzhak. 
Of course, his father's name was Yitzhak. Is he quoting his father at the beginning of his commentary? I don't know. I'm not sure anyone will any know, ever know. Anyway, Rashi, at the very beginning of his commentary to the Torah, quotes from Rabbi Yitzhak, who asks, why does the Torah begin with Bereshit, Barai, Lurat, Tashmayim, Ta'aretz? Why doesn't it instead start with the first command, the first mitzvah, Ta'am Yisrael, which of course was, Ha'chodesh, that's already interesting. And of course, his answer is that God wants to protect Am Yisrael when we get the land of Israel to say this was really ours, righteously so. God bestowed it to us and so forth. But it means that I'm supposed to, for some reason, as I open up to that first pasuk in the Torah, and I envision how creation began, I'm already thinking about, for some reason, Yisiyam Yisraim, I'm already thinking about HaChodesh HaZelachim. And listen for a moment to how different they really are. Because if I envision the beginning of creation, so to speak, through the prism of Rosh Hashanah, the Gemara in Masechet Rosh Hashanah in the Gemara in Masechet Betzah, where is it, Tetvav, Tetzayin or so, has the following derasha. The Pasuk says in Tehillim, Tik'u b'chodesh ofar, b'kese liyom hagen, when the Chachamim say, when is it that the kese, milashon kisui, that the, that the moon is covered, so to speak, What's the month in which, the holiday in which, the month time is one in which I can't see the moon? Not because there are clouds, but because I can't see the moon. Because it's the first of the month. It's the only holiday we have, which is the first of the month. Which means to say, if I contrast Pesach Yitziat Mitzrayim to Biryat HaOlam Rosh Hashanah, I'm literally contrasting Full moon to no moon at all. One step further. One step further. You, you, you have a feeling you know where I'm going already? One step further, source number five. Source number five just gives you a picture of the rabbinic view of what the moon is really all about, which really begins to crystallize matters for us. We talked about this earlier this year in the class that was called something like The Origin and Nature of Sin, where we talked about that midrash with the moon and the sun. Here's the Gemara Masechet Bava Batran Daf Ein He Amud Aleph. Zekenim Shebe'oto Hador, so to speak, the wise old ones during the time of Moshe and Aharon said, Amru Pene Moshe, a well-known statement of the rabbis. The face of Moshe, so to speak, is like the radiance of the sun. And the face of Yehoshua is like the reflection of the moon. What's, that's right. The source, the potential, begins with Moshe. The reflection, the ability to take that and then spread it, is Yehoshua. Bring it back to our imagery, and we already have something going. Beginning of creation, no moon vision. Beginning of creation, there's potential. There's godliness. There's divinity. There's sun. As life continues, as we as a nation, as we as a people, as we as human beings come into existence, there's now a moon. We now have responsibility. We now have capability. We can now, hi Joey, we can now reflect that light. That's the direction here. So we already see a contrast from Rosh Hashanah to Pesach. Whereas Rosh Hashanah is the day of potential. We did a class on this Rosh Hashanah time and we'll return to just a few of those sources because it was a whole class. But now it means that whereas Rosh Hashanah is the day of potential, call it the day of the Sun, 
Pesach is the holiday of the moon. And what I mean by that is Pesach is the time that we as a people embody the spirit of the moon. We as a people take that potential of God, the radiance, the Zohar Harakia, the Shemesh, the Hama, and play the Yehoshua role of spreading that throughout the world, of playing our own role. Well, you might already start thinking back to the two creations. We'll get to that right now. First, the Gemara Masechet Rosh Hashanah, just two dapim later, has a well-known mahlok between Bili Ezer and Bioshua. Bili Ezer says the world was created in Tishrei. Rabbi Yoshua says the world was created in Nisan. Each one of them brings sources for themselves. But fundamentally, what are they disagreeing about? Well, we already have a vantage point as to perhaps what they're disagreeing about. Rabbi Ezer talking about Tishrei is envisioning the world, so to speak, as an origins, as the nature of godliness. Tishrei is the potential time. Tishrei is the sun time. Tishrei is the time when human beings are not really involved yet. It's the Rosh Hashanah, the Yom Hadin, if you will, before there's room for humanity. Nisan, in contrast, is altogether different. Nisan is the moon time, is when we play the role. That's the difference between the two opinions. In previous weeks, we talked about in a different class, well, lots of things come together, Rabili Ezer's opinion, Rabili Ezer is associated with Beit in several contexts, most notably, whatever, in several contexts, and it's important to take note of that here as well. Shamai, of course, have their minds and spirits in Shamaim. They're the Dean personality, Rabili Ezer, very appropriately so. We talked about this when we learned Masechet Rosh as well. Very appropriately so, are focused on Tishrei. Says Tosafot, surprisingly, Arizal, a little less surprisingly, in source number eight, quoted by Rabbi Chaim Vital in Periyetz Chaim, says Tosafot, in the name of Rabbeinu Time, they're not disagreeing. What do you mean they're not disagreeing? Rabbi Eliezer says one way, Rabbi Yoshua says another way. Is it Tishrei? Is it Nisan? Says Tosafot, Elu Elu Hayim. What are you talking about? The world was only created on one date, was it not? It can't be that they're both right. They're both true. How's that possible? Says Tosafot, Rabbeinu Tam, in Tishrei, listen to the words, Allah b'machshava, it arose in the mind of God to create the world. In Nisan, the actualization is in Nisan, but we kind of know what those strange, mysterious words mean now, right? Because whereas potential goes into existence in Tishrei, in Bereshit Bara Elohim et Ta'aretz, in some time, before there's human beings, certainly before there's the Jewish nation, before there's Am Yisrael, actualization is with a nation. Actualization is with a people. In the words of Arizal or Maharhu in source number eight, he says it's the difference between Ibur and Leda. Ibur meaning the conception, Leda meaning the birth. Hayom Harat Olam is what we say on Rosh Hashanah. Today the world was impregnated, the world was conceived, not the world quote unquote was created. That's a fundamental conceptual difference over here. Right. So man created. The vision here is that man. If we're going to, there's a mahloket on what was created on Aleph Betishle. What's Rosh Hashanah all about? Is it the beginning of creation and beginning of mankind? For me, either way you slice it with these opinions, it doesn't matter because it's quote-unquote the potential of humanity, not the actualization of humanity. Which means to say, what was actually there? Not certain. Was there an actual human being there at that time? Very possibly, but not the actual human being. Not the human being that you and I know. 
more, so to speak, the human being, although it may have looked like an adult, the one who's kind of in embryo, in, in, in uterus, in, in uterine still. That, that, that's what you're dealing with in this context. So piecing it again, bringing it back, looping it together again, it means that when I envision the difference between Tishrei and Nisan, the difference between Roshana and Pesach, I envision the difference between, these are the words I like to use, potential and actual. One is the day on potential, I call that divinity. It's when everything is an option. There's not one way and there's no conflicting opinion. It's literally everything is open. Can you look at God and conceive of God in any finite way? There's no such thing. Everything is open. Everything's a possibility. That's when the example I gave recently is as follows. Tishrei is, so to speak, lehavdil. I, uh, I'm building my office space. I'm building my home. So I start with a house, I start with an office, I fill the office with a staff, with desks and tables and computers, but I haven't yet given my CEO pitch for what we're actually doing here. I haven't actually moved my family into the home. So the potential is there. The human beings exist, the computers exist, the tables exist, the bricks and carpets all exist, but nothing's actually functioning in the way that it should be functioning. Tishrei is the sun. It's literally there. The potential for radiance is there, but what's it radiating? We need to wait for the moon, which will now bounce that sun, bounce that light off, and play that role, which means if I bring it back to the vision and picture of what Pesach is all about, and we'll say this a few more times, hopefully, it means Pesach is the time during which we stop and think about what role do we play. Rosh Hashanah is the day in which we think about what role does God play? What's this world in which he somehow inhabits while making some space for us? But we focus more on him, on the Dean aspect of existence. Dean is hard for us to wrap our head around. Yesiyah Mizraim is the time in which I look at Moshe and I think about his outstretched arm. The pictures, appropriately so, at least that I know of, people drawing paintings of Yesiyah Mizraim, don't have a hovering eastern wind above the water. That's not the imagery. It's the imagery of Moshe's arm. Very appropriate. Now, that's not to say that Moshe does this independently. And that's what the Midrash has in mind when the Midrash says, I think, I think it has in mind, it says that Moshe had Shem HaMiforash on the Mate. I think that's the point. Don't say this is just Moshe, but that's the imagery. God turns to Moshe and says, why are they still praying to me? This is not my moment to shine. Of course I will shine. But you guys, Yisau, move a little bit. Because this is the time of actualization. This is not Tishrei. This is Nisan zone. Just to elaborate a little bit more, to drive the point home with regards initially to what Tishrei, to Tiberiat Olam, what it means that the creation of potential was what we dealt with in Bereshit Perek Aleph. The Pasuk of Source course begins our Torah with Bereshit bara Elohim et HaShamayim et HaAretz. We'll get back to those words in a few moments. Ve'haaretz hayeta. Tohu vavohu. We'll get back to those words in less than a minute. Ve'hoshech al penetehom. Ve'ruach Elohim merachefet al penehamayim. We'll start with the last words, which we already addressed. Ruach Elohim merachefet al penehamayim. There's that wind, that spirit of God, which hovers above the water. I promised you we'd see more words of Rashi on the first pasuk of the Torah. I guess it's the second pasuk over here. Ve'ruach Elohim merachefet al penehamayim. Merachefet, I think the right translation is hovers. Says Rashi, what's hovering? Says Rashi, it's kiseh hakavod, omed ba'avir. 
ומרחף על פני המים ברוח פיו של הקדוש ברוך הוא מאמרו. Too high for me to really break down. I don't so to speak, the, the oxygen, the air from God's mouth, the kisei akavo, all beyond my understanding, at least at the moment. Continues Rashi, this part. Make, maybe make some sense on, of Kiyona HaMerachefet Al Hakan. Says Rashi, it's like a dove which hovers above the nest. The last words in Rashi, which is Old French, to be determined, I guess you got to test the art school who did their research on Old French, but it says Akubiter, maybe it means incubator. If it does, then it's perfect. If it doesn't, that's okay as well. What's Kiyona Al Pene Hakan? Why does Rashi need the imagery of the dove on top of the nest? I wonder if a dove on top of the nest is the best example you can give for brewing potential. There's some eggs, there's some chicks ready to hatch. The mother is above them. That's the beginning of the world. The beginning of the world is one in which nothing's actualized. That's Tohu Vavohu. Tohu Vavohu, as Ramban points out in source number 11, as Rashi really says, and we'll point it out in Bereshit Perik Bet Pasuk Dalet, is the creation of potential, right, Elliot? It's the creation of potential. What is Tohu Vavohu after all? Says Ramban, Homer Hiyuli. He quotes a uh, Greek word. He says it's, uh, Yavan is Greek, yeah. Uh, it's a Greek word. What's Homer Hiyuli? It means formless matter. Ralph likes to call it, I think, energy. Others have told me to call it Heil, whatever you want to call it. Formless matter, which means everything's there. It might be an itty-bitty particle, but ultimately speaking, it's all in that particle. It'll take time for that particle to be expanded by God. That's Tohu Vavohu, says Ramban. Tohu Vavohu, Tohu Milashon Tohe. Tohe means to question. I look at the piece of clay, I say, I wonder what that's going to turn into. I see the potential in you. I say, I wonder what you'll turn that into. That's an amazing, that's tohu. Bohu, he says, is a compound word. Bohu, it is in it. What's in it? The potential is in it. That's a description of Bereshit bara Elohim et HaShomayim et HaAretz. Ve'ha'aretz ha'yeta tohu vavohu. God created tohu vavohu. When did he create tohu vavohu? Bereshit bara Elohim et HaShomayim et HaAretz. That's the way we're reading it. We're reading that as construction. I'm comfortable doing so. Ramban does so. Zohar does so. Rashi does so. How do I mean that Rashi says so? Not at the beginning of his commentary to the Torah. Rashi does so in source 11 and 12. The Pasuk in Bereshit Perik Bet, Pasuk Dalet, says, Elle toledot hashamayim v'ha'aretz pehibaream beyom asot Adonai Elohim eretz v'shamayim. On the day that God crafted, I don't know, not crafted, created eretz v'shamayim. One day God created eretz and shamayim? That's not true. It took six days. Or maybe five days, or four, whatever amount of days you want to determine whatever the world is. But that's, that's not one day. Says Rashi, no, no, no. Says Rashi, they were all created on one day. That's verse number 12. Rashi writes this at least two times in his commentary to Bereshit. What's he talking, to, talking about? He's talking about the exact same thing, I think. He's talking about Ramban's point. He's talking about our incubator point. He's talking about the fact that it's all there in potential. I began my business with a model, with a thought. 
I set forth the tables and the chairs and the computers and the staff. Nothing's actually there. Everything's there. I look back a year, 10 years, 20 years from now, and I say it was all there from the beginning. I look at my child. I say, I saw it in you from the... Come on, Dad. You didn't see it in me in the beginning. I was a failure. I was failing every test. I saw it there from the beginning. Your first failed test. I saw the tear in your eyes. I knew you had the inspiration to grow. It was in you from then. The success that you have now, that's better. That's to above all. That's the beginning of creation. How come we didn't see it? Because it's only in potential. It's divine. There's no human interaction yet. There's no humanity to actualize it, to bring it forth to its coarse physical structure and, and manifestation. In truth, for another occasion, although at one point we touched on this, that perhaps is the Hoshech with which we begin. That might be the Mayim as well. Hoshech has a way of blurring any form. Mayim has a way of blurring form as well. You've got lots of stuff going on in the darkness, plenty of things underneath the surface of the water, but you don't see it and you're not able to make it out, but it's potential. It's all there. That's why God is so much identified with the water. That's the absolute potential, the formless potential. Putting form to something stunts it. Putting form, if I took clay, if I take a human being and I set them in one direction, I've on more than one occasion, I've met with people, usually younger people in this context, and given them advice. And I get a little bit nervous afterwards. The reason I get a little bit nervous is because I'm determining, not that they're actually going to listen to me only, but if they listen to me, I'm determining a certain track in life for them. I've literally just burnt some of their potential because they're going to put their mind, spirit, and energy to this now. Oh my goodness, I took away, so to speak, a part of their divine nature, that absolute potential. So it goes. That's what human beings do. That's what we have over here just to cap it all off for you with regards to, again, focusing specifically on creation before we try to quickly at some point bring it back to Pesach, to Yisiyat Mitzrayim. Just lastly, of course, Rashi points out as well that the first pasuk uses the word Elohim, and that pasuk that we mentioned, Bereshit Perek Beth, pasuk Dalit, says Hashem Elohim. So which one is it? What's his name? Elohim denotes Din, what we call Din earlier, the divine only realm, the realm in which human beings can't really exist. You act at it all, at a line, off with your head, Din. Hashem Elohim, there's some Rahamim, that's human intervention. Says Rashi, listen to the words. But initially, remember those words? We saw them in Rabbeinu Tam, in his grandson. God thought to create with Din. You know what we call that? Potential. I realized they couldn't exist that way. You know what we call that? Actual. Human beings are here. They can't live. He brought Rahamim as well to, to that note. Rashi doesn't say, but the Gemara and Hagiga points this out. The first Pasuk says, Bereshit bara Elohim et shamayim Shamayim we associate more with God. Deen, Bechamai type of dimension. That's the beginning, that's the potential. Because now we're talking about the actualization, which means, again, what we specifically did after all our intro, after our development is we now focused on what does this whole potential business mean? And now we're going to take it a few steps further. Just one more moment on Biryat and then into Egypt again. So one more moment on Biryat You see there's creation of light on day one. And I've mentioned more than once, there's a funny way that the Torah describes this creation of light. Funny if you don't 
if you don't see it through Rashi or other lenses. So the Pasuk says that God creates light on day one. And then it says God separate, God sees that it's tob, it's complete, and then he separates between light and darkness, which means prior to separating, there was no separation of light and darkness. And that's what's tob. One more time. God creates light. That's complete. That's good. Then he separates. One second. What was Tob? Before separation? That's right, says Rashi from the rabbis. That's the creation of Orhaganus. That's the supernal, divine light, quote unquote. That's the one that we can't really live with. It's the one that we'll read in a second, so to speak, Adam Harishon had a few moments with. Ah, we can't really handle that. So he separates. He creates a world of space. A division between light and darkness. That's for God for it all to be one. As human beings, we can't live in such a fashion. The Gemara, in demonstrating what was that light all about, listen to the imagery, says that Adam HaRishon, in source number 17, Adam HaRishon was able to see, don't take this too literally, even Ralph, from one side of the world to the other side of the world with this light. That's the description. All right, effectively what it's saying is this amazing existence which is beyond natural capacities of a human being. Now here's the interesting part for me. There's one, to my knowledge, one other place in Talmud in the last Masechet of Gemara in which those words are used again that you can see from one side of the world to the other. I can't tell you it doesn't appear anywhere else. I can tell you it's the only other place I know. Gemara and Masechet Nidan Daflamid in source number 16, the well-known Midrash of the baby inside the womb of the mother. Before leaving, the angel slaps it on the mouth because it was learning Torah and it forgets all the Torah. But the Gemara gives other imagery. And I only recently paid attention to this. The other imagery of the Gemara is that in that womb of the mother, there's a ner daluk, there's a lit candle, and the baby in utero is able to see from one side of the world to the other. Do you follow the description? Do you understand what the rabbis are doing? They're describing that when you're in utero, when you're in your mom's womb, there's absolute potential. It's only when you come out to this evil world and you're put in a box of a home and told what to do with your life and sent to a specific school and get a specific education and community and upbringing. Okay, you can no longer see from one side of the world. I can't tell you don't have a great one, but from one side of the world to the other, you can't any longer. The absolute potential potential is lost. What we're describing effectively is, so to speak, the sun, the absolute light, that of God, the potential, and then the actual in this world in which what we can do is, we can be that moon and we can reflect it, but we're not living in a world of absolute radiance. Well, if that's the case, I now bring you... And I bring you back initially, and then a few steps forward in Yitzhiah Mitzrayim. I bring you back to our two creation stories, the way we began the class. We had creation, real creation, Bereshit Perek Aleph. We had creation, second creation, Kiryat Yamsuf, Perek Yodalid, all the similarities, all the linguistic similarities, thematic similarities, and so forth. What's the point? I wonder if it's quite simple. Kind of. In other words, the initial creation is that of potential. God built the office space. God constructed the house. Yisyat Misraim, after creation of humanity. Humanity begins this. Right? But you need more than just humanity. Now you need a nation who's going to abide by these laws, who's going to walk on this path, who's going to be searching and seeking truth. That's actualization. It's a second creation. 
It's the creation of Nivra. It's the creation of Leda. We have a Hayom Harat Olam of sun, of Rosh Hashanah, of no moon. We have a Hachodesh Hazelachim of Yesiyah Misraim of only moon, of looking up in the nighttime and understanding this is our role now. There's no longer that light from one side of the world to the other. To the extent that the contrast from Egypt to Am Yisrael is very, in my mind, very strongly felt. If you read just, not even that carefully, the last three makot in Parashat Bo, before the last three makot. You see, um, as God is, or Moshe is warning Paro at the end of this journey, Paro turns to Moshe and he has this funny statement. He says, Re'u, re'u in source number 18 in Shemot, Perek Yod, Pasuk Yod, Re'u, Kira'a Neged Penechem. This is right before Makat Arbe, before the locust. And of course, the obvious question is, why is Paro telling them? Why is he giving them advice? You should know evil is going to befall you. I'm not going to do it. You should know if you leave Egypt, Egypt, you're in trouble because evil is going to come your way. Ra. All of a sudden, Paro became, you know, this guy who's looking out for their well-being. So there's different interpretations. Rashi quotes from the Midrash. The Midrash is that he's referring to a god, and the god's name is Ra, or Ra'a. What's Ra, and we know this, and Rashi basically articulates this explicitly, it's the sun god. Effectively, Paro is turning to them and he says, the sun god's going to strike you down. We happen to know that above, at the top of the pantheon of the, of the divine system of the Egyptians was the sun god. As a result, in direct contrast to what Paro says to them, this point has been made by many before me. Most recently, I remember reading this in one of Rabbi Ari Khan's books, the last three makot all emphasize the darkness. Arbe, you say, is eating the ground. Not really. There was not that much left after Barad. The Pesukim tell us that. What was it? Darkness. Black. You opened your window and there was just black because there was so much locust. You saw no ground, no brown and no green because it was all black. It was just darkness before an actual darkness. Of course, the next makah, number nine is makat Hoshech. Let's pay careful attention to the way the Pesukim describe Hoshech, by the way. It says there's Hoshech, but for Bnei Israel there's Or Bechol Moshvotam, uh, Bemoshvotam in their resting dwelling places. How's that possible? Of course, not, not, not physically possible in the regular sense. Malbim, I've always liked this perush of Malbim since I discovered it. Malbim picking up on a Midrash suggests that we're dealing with none other than Or Haganuz. We're dealing with that supernatural darkness. It's a darkness which is mixed with light. Can you imagine it's reappearing here in Egypt? Do you understand the imagery and the significance of that? Here we are recreating creation itself. Here we are turning to the Egyptians who envisioned the world as absolute divinity, so to speak. And we know this about their system. We know they worship the Nile because of the cyclical nature of the Nile. We know it was
was all about the sun and the moon and the stars because of their cyclical, eternal, constant nature and motion. That was what it was all about. We've done this in the context of Yosef. Yosef is interpreting dreams or telling dreams initially, such Egyptian dreams. He's talking about Shemesh, Yareah, Hahadas HaKochavim. He's Havonavo, his father. Are we really going to come to you? So we're going to make our way into Egypt. I've said more than once, his father's more fearful of the Egypt than the worship of him. You know, he's, oh, it's great. You're going to be a top guy. Fantastic, Yosef. However, we're going to be in Egypt? That's nonsense. That's ludicrous. But again, that's what takes place in Egypt. In Egypt, it's all about the divinity. It's all about what do I see? I just walk according to the light of God. I don't, I don't really do anything else. That's the novelty and the nature of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. This is the critical and key point, and I'm repeating it again. Yitzhak Mitzrayim is, take your eyes off the sun for a minute or two, please. Pay attention to the moon. Your life is not lived in that sun. That sun, that's, that's godliness. That's divinity. You're not actually going to grasp that. Your job, your responsibility is haremet matecha. You need to do something here. You need to reflect that light. So yes, there is that light. There is a divine presence in this world. It is a world embedded with and imbued with a divine presence. But what are you doing? In Egypt, they're not really doing much. In Egypt, they're kind of stuck in time. They're very successful, but they're worshiping sun. That's what they get scared of the darkness. Literally. Why are they scared of the darkness? The darkness, where's God? Whereas Am Yisrael have an opposite, opposite approach to the matter. Of course, Makat Bechorot is Kahasot Halayla. It's in the middle of the night. It's literally the description of a blackout at the end, but more than just, but also defeating the God, quote-unquote, of the Egyptians. It's furthermore teaching a lesson to Am Yisrael. We follow this with. Ha-chodesh hazelachem. Kadesh Moshe. Don't be afraid. Look up at the moon. I don't do the moon. I'm an Egyptian person. You're not an Egyptian. Stop looking at the sun so much. Envision yourself through the moon to the extent that, and here's where I'll cap the class, I'll tell you, the contrast from Rosh Hashanah to Pesach is in other ways. It goes like this. We've said this earlier this year in the Rosh Hashanah class. No sources on it. I tried to avoid as much as possible, even though half the class today was about Rosh Hashanah. But half the class not more than half the class. In Rosh Hashanah, we don't talk that much. I know we have prayers, but we don't talk that much. We talk through sound. It's Yom Teruah. That's what it is, really. It's a day of sound. And sound, I've said it, Zohar says it, the Ba'alei Machshava, all repeat it, sound is almost absolute potential. Sound means I haven't taken something and put it into my own words. When I just shriek, or I just sound my voice, it's literally everything's potential there. Of course, if I just use my mind, there might even be more potential. If I go beyond mine and there's just presence, it's even more greater potential. But by definition, Ralph will send all the sources after class. Harambam in Morei Nebuchim talks about, he quotes the Gemara Masechet Berachot, ideal prayer is one, don't try this at home, please, or in Knis. Certainly, it was one of contemplation, silent contemplation. You're going to put words to your praise and your, uh, your appreciation of God? By definition, you put words to it, you took away from it. I turned to you, I said, Dave, you look great. I look great, that's it. 
I was expecting you to say a lot more. That's what I meant. No, but you, you only said great. I, I, you're a really important person. Just important to you? By definition, the second I put words to it, I've confined it. I'm no longer able to, no, I'll spend 100,000 words. But if you just looked at me with eyes that smiled, you'd speak so much more than putting it into actual words. When we sound the Shofar and Rosh Hashanah, we're literally ringing forth absolute potential. They are to symbolize a little bit of a human uh, uh, dimension, the crying, but it's still crying. So I can even within crying, break it up a little. Like I said, we're not just thinking, we're already expressing and we're breaking it up and symbolizing further. However, the Torah fundamentally only talks about Yom Teruah. Really what it is, is fundamentally it's a day of sound, chalas. A day of sound means absolute potential. When else do we sound the shofar according to the Torah? On Yovel, of course, when we set forth slaves. When slaves achieve their freedom, the world is the potential for them. They literally, they're like a newborn baby. They have absolute potential. There's no words any longer. It's the absolute opposite of what we got in, and it comes to our conversation before the class, in Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And that's the point of the class. Yitzhak Mitzrayim is not about just absolute potential. Freedom, in turn, is not just about setting forth into the world and thinking about how the world and the sky is the limit and beyond the sky. I can do all because I see God and I feel them all and all I need to do is sound the shofar and think about it. No. What are you going to be doing now? How are you going to be manifesting your freedom? God's here. His sun is beaming. What are you going to do during the night portion when the sun is hidden? How are you going to reflect it? And we do that on Pesach in contrast to Rosh, in stark contrast to the wordless Rosh Hashanah with words. It's what Pesach is all about. Pesach, of course, the famous uh, description of the holiday, breaking the word into a mouth which talks Pesach. And we know it from the mitzvot of the day. We know it from the words, maybe not only from here, but from the words of the Zohar. This is for you, Dad, Dave. The words of the Zohar who notice and describe Misraim prior to redemption as a world of galut hadibur. It's a world in which there's absent speech, exiled speech. And Moshe's words, says Zohar, are reflective of that. When he says, I'm kvad peh and kvad sifataim, I can't speak well, he's reflecting his people. It's a people who can't can't talk. Why can't they talk? Because they're dormant. Because they don't have the ability to express themselves. Yeah, they've got a lot of potential. The same potential a baby has in the womb of his mom. Tons! But they can't actually capitalize. They can't actually put words to it to the extent that the Pesukim at the beginning of Parashat Shemot, at the end of Perik Bet, have listened to all the verbs that describe what's going on. And you can't miss it if you read it carefully and you pay attention to the words. Uh, There's many days. Describe accordingly. Ralph will send you the sources. That's the first verb. What do they do? They groan. Uh, groaning. So that's one you're hearing groaning. They cry. They scream. They shout. That's a third type of description. Shavatam. Ah, it's a soulful noise. Elohim et. Na'akatam, the fourth description, no words. 
Four descriptions of noises, shouts, cries, groans, moans, mabad, if you name it, just no words, galuta dibur, potentials there, they're not able to manifest it. I, what's that? They're crying over their, their work, their labor. There's no question. They are slaves. Their potential is stunted. They have they have a internal, you know, I failed the test. I'm a slave to my schoolwork, but I see something in you. So it's true. And, 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 I, and I, of course, of course, ironically, and again, we, we all know this, ironically, the child has in him so much more quote-unquote God-given potential than the adult. Well, the adult has it as not kind of not any longer. The adult's already boxed him or herself into a life. The adult has already chosen a life for themselves. You can't really get out of it. You could try, you could disappear, but you can't really get out of it any longer. But it's a child. Yeah, but the child has something. The slave has something as well. But what do you do now when you're out? So I love this pasuk just for what it says. Even though it's not peshat in pasuk, but listen to the pasuk. The first time we encounter these Moshe and Aharon, we kind of learn their names and learn about their mission. Pasuk says, I love it for many reasons. Perik vav pasuk chavzayin and shemot hem hamidaberim el paromelech mitzrayim lotziet bnei samsaim. Who Moshe and Aharon? Who are they? They are the midaberim. What are they doing? They're liberating us or freeing us from Egypt. It's such an unnecessary description. I love that description. That's who they are. That's what Moshe and Aaron do. They teach us how to speak. Because to be free means to actualize my potential. Means to get out and say what I mean. And to determine what it is that I want to do. That's what they do. I've said on more than one occasion as well. That's what Moshe does. He goes time and again and again and again to Paro. Why is he wasting all that time? Just throw all the makot at him. Plague him again and again. Strike him. Everyone will appreciate. You really need Moshe being the, the puppet in front of him saying, please let my people. I know it makes good for a movie. I know it's very entertaining. But you really need him doing so. You need him doing so. We need people looking at him from Am Yisrael and achieving freedom through watching their leader speak. And the more he speaks, speaks, the more free he is, because the more he articulates who he is. It's what Yitziat Mitzrayim is all about. It's two pesukim of several in which we're commanded to speak. Yitziat Mitzrayim, you need to speak in the ears of your child all the miracles. We don't do that on other holidays. We don't do it on Sukkot. We don't do it on Shavuot. We don't do it on Rosh Hashanah. We don't need to talk about the miracles of God. All of a sudden, and every one of them is Zechel Yisiyam Mitzrayim, by the way. We forget that, right? We forget that, but we say it in the prayers. I know this one's closer, but shouldn't we be doing it on all of them? Not really. This is the one of freedom. This is the one in which you have source number 26. You need to speak to your child. Speak. That's what the holiday is all about. The holiday is about speech because to be a free person, the Torah says, is to choose a destiny, is to determine a direction. It is what Moshe and Aharon lead the people into. We call it in English desert or wilderness. We call it in Hebrew the Midbar, Milashon Midaber as well. It's a journey to speech. It's a journey to articulation, to identity, to understanding who they are, to playing the role of the moon who understands his mission or her mission, understands and determines, I get that light which emanates from God, but instead of just letting the sun shine, I understand there's a dark time, I understand there's the opportunity for me within this world, there's the potential that's laid in my direction, and now what am I to do with it? It is ultimately speaking, we've done this in Moshe conversations 
I think, at least on Shabbat, we have in some context or another. It's the Moshe failure for one reason or another. Moshe's failure, of course, is his inability to speak appropriately in front of the people. So it means that his dibur, which is his, which is his mandate, it's, it's supposed to speak to the rock in Parashat Hukat. And oh, I'm sorry, I, I speak in codes. I speak in codes. I don't know. I, I, oh, there you go. I, you know, 99 times out of 100, I'm so certain everybody understands, not a single person. And then everyone has to come, is this what you mean? Like, yeah, of course it's something, man. That was the clearest thing in the world. Yes, thank you, Ralph. Yes, he's told to speak to the rock, according to Rashi, that's where he goes wrong. He strikes the rock. Start of speaking. You're supposed to be speaking. So teach the people how to speak. There are several occasions and circumstances in the life of Moshe. You'll understand by means of understanding what it means to be free. What it means for him to be hamidaberim is to achieve freedom through the ability, the mandate, the responsibility to speak piecing the whole class together. Just briefly, it goes like this. We contrasted effectively creation of Rosh Hashanah, creation of Hayom Harat Olam, creation of Tishrei, I'm using all the words, creation of Shemesh, of Or, creation of anything else we can add, of Din, creation of Shamaim. that's all on one side. We call that potential. That's Ruach Elohim Merachefet That's Tohu Babo. That's when there's absolute potential, the energy, the baby in the womb, we gave a lot of examples, the office space, the home, all of these examples, the child in school when he's failing, but all potential, all there. And then we said, but there's another creation. And we said the Pesukim purposefully ref, uh, uh, compare them, but bring a lot of similarities to Kriyat Yamsuf, to Yisiyam Yisrael. Why is it a new creation? It's the next stage in creation. It's the creation when God, so to speak, turns to B'nai Yisrael and says, all right, now your turn. It's the creation of moon zone, of HaChodesh HaZelachem. It's no longer Rosh Hashanah when you can't make out the moon. Rosh Hashanah, reflect on who I am. Understand potential for a moment. Pretend you're a baby for a little bit. Cry out the cries of a baby. Don't articulate your words. Yitzhak Mitzrayim, Kiryat Yamsuf. Pay attention to the darkness. Not only because I'm destroying their gods, because this is the domain you're going to be operating in. Not just the Orhaganus that's emanating or could have emanated, but rather the world in which there's space, in which we call Rahamim, the world in which you're living on the audits. The world in which you're living a life of Nisan, a life in which your responsibility is to determine and to decide. So what are you going to do with this newfound freedom? How are you going to speak it? No longer just crying. Crying was beautiful when you're a child. As you get older, you're done with cries. By the way, very appropriately so. We didn't call attention to that. A child cries. He can't articulate, a baby I should say, can't articulate words. So appropriate. It's before there is articulation of words. There's absolute potential. Yes, they mean something, but they mean a lot. They haven't been able, they're not cognitively. It's a beauty of cognitive slow development. There's still a lot of potential. Leave that potential open to them. We don't want the child speaking immediately. We want them forgetting the Torah and only then retrieving it when they get out and they live in this world and we grow up. We live in the world of Nisan. And Pesach then is an opportunity, is a responsibility to reflect the light. It's where we play that role of the moon. It's where God turns to us and said, you guys say, instead of, and I'll conclude with this because I love this pun as well, instead of envisioning it as a world world of Shana, a world of repetition, of sun repetition, because our years are determined by the sun, which is a Shana. It's something that just repeats. It's cyclical in nature. We've done a class on that as well this year, the circle being that God's cyclical, perfect nature thing. 
All right, that's a shana. Get out of that. That was Egyptian vision. That is potential vision. I want you now to be hahodish, chidush. I want you to look at the livana and play the role of the livana. I want you to bring something forth in existence. Use your own words. Tap into your own creativity. Take that potential and actualize it as you see fit. If you live Pesach, you live a world of productivity, a world of partnership, no doubt. You're turning to God at all times. You're seeing on the staff the name of God, as we mentioned earlier, but you're raising your own staff. You're using your own words. You're able to set forth a vision, a path, a direction in the world of darkness. That's the opportunity, the responsibility of reflecting the light on Pesach. Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen.